This is Fate's Wide Wheel. This week, I'll take potpourri for 400, Labar. We talk about Making Moves, George Gently, Total Recall, The Man in the High Castle, and the Michael Shore TV universe. We are all over the place. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going pretty good. Going pretty good. Good. Um, good, good, good. I'm excited for this, like, potpourri episode. Yeah, we really, we have no agenda. No, just come in, just get on the mic, do the thing that we say we we're going to do, and just record often um, and figure it out. Um, yeah, see what, see what happens. Yeah, but before we hit record, uh, we were talking about uh, life in general. You are dealing with an ear infection. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's the weirdest thing because it's one of those things that if you Google ear infection, everything that comes up is aimed at, like, pediatrics it's all it's all geared towards like kids because kids get ear infections adults don't i mean they do but sure you know it's it, it, the, the perception is, is yeah that it doesn't really happen to adults but yeah i've got one and it is man it's a mother i tell you what because the thing is it's like it, it started off i woke up with an earache i'm like that's weird and uh about not quite a year ago i woke up one morning and kind of had some weird vertigo going on i was like oh what's this and it turns out that like you know, the crystals in your ear or whatever were, were a little out of whack. So I, I went to the doctor, he did a couple things and then bam, I was better. I was like, Oh, that's amazing. So at first I thought, well, maybe it's something that, like that. I don't know. I went to the doctor, they checked it out. It's like, Oh yeah, you got an ear infection, gave me antibiotics, told me to take Tylenol. Three days later, nothing's changed, still feel awful. So I go back to the doctor, they have to prescribe me like a stronger antibiotic. They give me eardrops. Like they I send, literally they send feel you to a pediatrician. like a grade schooler. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah. Oh. My daughter's pediatrician decided to help out, you know, when you were, uh, yeah. When so, you yeah. were texting me the other night about it, I was like, Oh, I haven't had an ear infection since I was a kid. Cause I was just thinking about the pain, like the earache. But then you brought up yeah. the, like, like the, like the balance thing in the vertigo. And I remembered I had a couple of bouts with vertigo, uh, probably about a decade ago. And I remember one morning mm. just getting up for work and I had my alarm clock set up across the room, you know, productivity thing, whatever, bullshit. Uh, and my alarm clock goes off and I, and, I, and I go to shut it off and like, whoa, why is the room spinning? I did not drink last night. What is going on? Um, yeah. I, I never went to the doctor. The, the woman I was dating at the time, one of her friends was a doctor. And so she, nice. just, she basically gave me... Um, uh, an exercise to realign your like like the crystals in your inner ear to yeah. to do to do at home, and she was like, this, "If you went to the doctor, this is what they would prescribe to you to do." It's, it's basically, it's like laying in bed and doing like a series of head turns and holding it. Yep, it's that. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly um, what they did when I went in. Yeah, yeah. And after a couple of days, that that was that was resolved. And then whenever it flared back up, I would do that a little bit. And then it's probably been about a decade since I've had that issue. Yeah. But yeah. Well, it's weird, too, because they told me that it could be associated with allergies. And I don't usually get allergies that bad. Like, uh, you know, once the weather changes and all that sort of stuff, maybe I'll have some sniffles, maybe like just a teeny bit of a scratchy throat. But generally, it's like 24 hours, I'm done, I'm fine. And this year, for whatever reason, it's been worse than ever. And so they told me that apparently what can happen is that because of the allergies, you got a lot of other stuff going on, et cetera, et cetera. It can just kind of cause this stuff to happen or trigger it. So... I'm guessing that that's what it was, and uh, so here's been, here's a question: <laughs> when uh, when you go out in general, 
not like when you're around like other people, but like when you're just out like taking a walk, whatever. Are you wearing a mask less now? No, no, I still wear no. it pretty much all the time. Ah, uh, okay. Because I, um, I had a massage client earlier today, and she was just saying like her her allergies have flared back up this year because she stopped wearing her mask less, mm. like outside when she's just out like walking her dog. Sure. And like where last year she wore her mask all the time, no yeah. allergy problems. This year, wearing the mask less. Allergies have flared back up. I was just curious. Yeah. Well, I know that with the weather, uh, you know, having changed over the last month or so, that there have been a lot of days where we've had the windows open, that sort of stuff. And, mm. of course, masks are off because we're inside. So that, I mean, that, that could honestly have something to do with it. Maybe. Right there. Yeah. But now that we've had my physical report, how are you? <laughs> um, we're, we're doing pretty good. Um, kind of big life updates. And here's the thing. I haven't told yeah. anyone in my personal life this, but I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to put it out there in the world on the podcast. Oh, boy. Because here's the thing. Uh, I have lovely friends and we have a lovely audience. Most of my friends don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> so I'm going to put it out in the world. You're going to publish it like next Tuesday or something. Right. We're probably not going to tell people in general this for about another month. And when they say, why didn't you tell us sooner? I'll be like, hey, it was on the episode of the podcast that came out like May 10th or whatever. It's your fault for whatever. That's uh, right. If so, you really cared, you would follow my endeavors you're right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, that's, um, I have friends who have podcasts, and I never listen just because, eh, anyway. Of course, um, yeah. Of course, yeah, there's, so, there's only so many hours in the day and whatever. Anyway, um, so talking last episode about looking out in the burbs, we um, – see, when we last recorded, the next day we went and we looked a bunch of places out in the burbs. We looked at four places – we're coming home and getting ready to make offers on three, but we weren't in love with any of them. Like there were things we liked about each one, but we weren't in love with any of them. And uh, sure. baby's crying in the background. Apologize. Um, and we just kind of felt overwhelmed by it, by the decision fatigue of it. Um, meanwhile, for the last uh, few months, I've been low key trying to talk Betsy into moving down to like St. Louis, Southern Illinois, area, Southern Illinois area to be closer to my family. And like overnight, she was ready to make that move. She was like, if we move down there, we'll get more house. Cost of living will be less because uh, it wasn't going to get that much lower out in the Chicago verbs. And she's like, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So we suddenly shifted and uh, we found a realtor downstate to help us do virtual tours. And uh, long story short, we have an offer in on a place. And now we're just waiting for the appraisal to come back. And for the mortgage to officially get underwritten, and if all goes well, we will uh, we will be recording together apart uh, in a couple of months. <laughs> you uh, you here in Chicago, maybe the Burbs. I don't know. We're going to update from you here in a little bit. Uh, right, and, and me uh, down in the basement of our new single family home down in Troy, Illinois, which is about a half hour outside of St. Louis. Man, it's wild. It's wild to think about because. You know, we've known each other now for almost eight years. Um, it'll be like eight years this fall, actually, I think. So a few months, a few months shy of eight years. And uh, I had just moved to the city. Like, I'd live, had been living here, you know, maybe three months when we met. Uh, and you'd been here, obviously, for a while at that point. Um, but, yeah, now, I mean, here we are both thinking about potentially getting out of the city. You know, here's the thing, like so many actors 
in my newsfeed here in Chicago, like they are, they're moving, they're getting out of mm-hmm. Chicago. Um, well, I, I think it's kind of a thing like a cost of living, like what, what this pandemic has done in the last year, theater has been shut yep. down. Um, and I think, you know, and a lot of people like they have their own like creative endeavors, whether it's a podcast or something or whatever. I think people are realizing like, we don't have to kill ourselves doing live theater. Um, yeah, we can, well, we can express ourselves in other ways and we can live somewhere else with a lower cost of living. And the, you know, the other thing that's that the, that the pandemic has proven is that you no longer, I mean, some people had kind of realized this before the pandemic and kudos to them because it, 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 there are people that weren't you know, necessarily living in big cities and we're still having, you know, some measure of success, but the, the pandemic proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that you do not have to live in some sort of nexus of entertainment in order to be successful. Um, that there are plenty of people who will, you know, live outside of New York because the cost of living is lower, live outside of Chicago, live outside, you know, that, that, that the commute in, is if you've got the gig, once you get the gig, of course I'm going to commute, but now you don't have to commute for the auditions. You don't have to be, you know, you, you don't have to be like commuting in every day for a different audition because all the auditions you can do, you know, with tapes. So it, it's just changed the way that the business, I, I think the, the way that the business is looked at um, for a lot of people. Um, and, and, and it's strange because, I still haven't taken full advantage of a lot of that. You know, I've got my equipment now. I've got my ring light. I've got my, you know, I've got all my stuff ready to go. Uh, and, and I keep kind of combing through the auditions and, and, and kind of looking for stuff. And, uh, uh, but yeah, there's no doubt that you can, you can definitely have a measure of success outside of living in that area. And to your point, you can have a measure of success outside of the confines of, live theater and the grind of the storefront and the grind of the, you know, that, that there, that there exists so many other opportunities out there these days for artists and creative people that, uh, this podcast is an example of that. It's been, I mean, it's been my biggest outlet over the past like four years. Same. And, and I, I think I've made this comparison on, in an episode before when I was doing live storefront theater. And I think this is the norm. Like when you're doing like smaller storefront theater in Chicago, you may be doing performances for like 15, 20 people a show. Like the show that I met you on that I directed you in by, by many metrics, that was a very successful show, especially for, especially for a company's first production. Right. Um, Audiences, I won't say enjoy it because it was a really dark show. You, you, yeah. you, don't, you don't enjoy a show like that. Uh, audience, uh, they, they had a good experience with it, um, uh, got some good reviews, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Even still, 15, 20 people a show. We have a very modestly listened to podcast, but I think our downloads even still are probably are still, like in the first week, they're maybe like 100, 115, right. something right now. Yeah. And even still, I mean, that's, 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 pretty, that's pretty good. Um, yeah. And, and even by the metric, like, um, you know, even if it just like really touches or entertains like one or two people, right. That's like one or two people you've entertained. And for me, like right now, I'm not trying to make money, any money off of this or whatever. So that, that's good enough for me right now. Yeah. Maybe later it's not, but yeah. Right. I, I completely agree. And, and, you know, I'm in a position right now where, how, how in the hell this happened? I'll never know. I'll probably have you to blame, but, uh, I'm doing three of these things right now. 
And part of it is that I have, I have the luxury of time, you know, that, uh, now that we have finished, I, I think the, the main focus of, of our work and, and, you know, having to watch quantum leap and do some research and take notes and, you know, and that sort of stuff. Not that there weren't weeks where, you know, I got lazy and just watched the episode and, you know, let it fly. But, you know, the truth is, is that like, there were, there were times when that was work and it was, minimal work, don't get me wrong, but it was still work. And, and, and now I I feel like we've been able to use this to sort of just cater to whatever we're interested in, in the moment, you know, that, that, oh, hey, Falcon and Winter Soldier, I'm watching that. Oh, you're watching that too? Well, let's talk about it a little bit. And we don't have to, you know, we don't have to do the IMDb deep dive. We don't have to do the, you know, the, the, oh, that set was reused from, you know, this episode or whatever, you know, we're able to kind of, you know, to just talk and have a conversation, which is nice because we have been able to build a listenership through what we first, you know, focused on. And then, the, you know, the other podcast, which I've mentioned a few times on here, you, you know, the, the wrestling podcast that I started, uh, back in, you know, like April of 2018, uh, much to my chagrin has, has really kind of picked up again over the past few months. And I've started doing more regular episodes. And then in light of being laid off, I've picked up a little freelance work here or there, just, you know, writing a couple little things, uh, for this game company and, and the game company wanted to start uh, a podcast and they're kind of tied into the wrestling world as well. So it was a perfect sort of dovetail. So now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hosting that podcast for them. I've got the wrestling podcast that, you know, I get to do on my time whenever I want. And then we've got this one. And, and so it's been great to have those outlets. And then on top of it, all, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got a gig coming up at the end of this month. I haven't played live music in over a year due to the pandemic. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to do that. You know, there's, there's, there's always something to to do and it doesn't necessarily have to be because the backbreaking work, quite frankly, of storefront theater for, you know, 20 bucks a show, Maybe, <laughs> um, and, you, and, and, and listener, he's talking about the stipend that, right. you would, that you would get for like six weeks of rehearsal and a six week run. Yeah, it's like a token. Hey, your time is worth something. We can't give you what it's worth, but here, here's right. here's twenty bucks. This here's, is a yeah, fraction of what you spent on dinners out. Exactly. <laughs> from rehearsals over this process. Here you go. The, the, the you know, the, the biggest downfall, in my opinion, of, of, of any, you know, young actor and doesn't not exclusive to young actors is, is the fact that, you know, you go out, you, you, you get the, the show, you work on the show, they're going to cut you a check for, you know, 300 bucks at the end of the run, which is great. You're thinking like, Hey, I'm getting paid to act. This is awesome. But like you said, you know, you've got the four or five week rehearsal process, the, you know, the four or five week you know, run of the show. And, and during that time, you know, you can't really do anything else. It's not like you can take another gig, maybe, maybe in some instances, but for the most part, that's it. And then you factor in the fact that if you've got a rehearsal on a Friday night, there's a pretty good chance that you're going out with the castmates afterwards to grab a drink. Maybe even on a Wednesday night for that matter. Uh, if you've got a show on a Saturday night, you're definitely going to go hang out with your castmates after the show, even though you probably have a Sunday matinee. And if you, if you factor in your bar bill, the, the quick bites to eat that you've had to get when you're running from, you know, a day job to the show, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You paid them basically to, to be in their show. Here's the thing when I, when I started to realize like, like storefront theater was like this weird pyramid scheme type of thing. <laughs> <It's that. laughs> 
uh, like in college, like when I did shows, like one of the things I love, like we didn't do it every night, but like during tech week, we always would go out to eat afterwards, yep. stay out really late, go in, phone it in through class the next day or whatever. And I, I was always disappointed when, when there was like a, a really intense rehearsal or a show when the cast didn't go out afterwards. I yeah. was really disappointed. And it was almost like, well, what's the point? Right. And then at some point I, I realized like, oh, like eventually we can get to a point where we just go hang out and have a beer at the bar. Like, yeah, we don't have to do a show. We don't have to go through all. Let, let's just go hang out. Right. It's, but it's weird, too, though, because there have been times when I have hung out with people like outside the confines of, of working on a show with them. And it in my experience is just me speaking. I, I usually feel a little awkward at first. I don't know. Like, I, like, I don't know what to talk about. I don't know how to behave. And, and generally it's because I'm in a group of people that, you know, it's like, I know this person because we were in a show together and now I'm going out to meet them for a drink and they've got some of their friends with them and, you know, significant others or whatnot. And I don't really know those people as well because there is a level of intimacy that you build with people that you're in shows with. That oh, it's really hard to compare that to anything, he, 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 you know. Here's how I'll compare it, and uh, I, I've used this one a lot. I don't know if I've ever used it on the show, uh, and to bring a little pop culture into it. it it's like the Losers Club in It. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and if you haven't read, like, like, the, like the movies, they kind of touch on a little bit, but the book really dives into it. It's how, like, they, like, as kids, they come together, they defeat the monster, and then they literally forget about each other. They don't drift apart. They literally forget about each other. And I think that's about the closest experience to like doing a show. Like, like when during that rehearsal and show process, it's really intense. You're really close. And then the show is over with. And then a month later you ran into, you run into a castmate at the bus stop and you're like, what the fuck do we talk about? Right. And it's really awkward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, coming from, because before I moved to Chicago, I was in Indianapolis, which is obviously a much smaller market than Chicago. And in Indianapolis, you know, there's, you kind of get to a certain place, at least I got to a certain place where you're working with a lot of the same people over and over and over again, because you're all kind of at that same tier, you know? And, and so, you, you know, I got to a place where I was working consistently, uh, at, at, one of the equity houses there and, and was working with, you know, a lot of the same people there. But of course, you know, we were usually doing smaller roles, you know, sometimes even non-speaking roles, you know, in those shows. And then we'd turn around and we'd go to like some of the smaller theaters, the equivalent of like storefront here in Chicago. And then we'd be, you know, lead roles. We'd be, you know, and, and, and the thing is, is it would, like I said, it would be the same people. So, you know, that sense of community is, is its own thing. And yet, much like you just said, moving to Chicago, it's almost like, it's almost like I slayed that dragon. Now I'm here and we've completely forgotten about one another. And there are a couple of people that I sort of keep in contact with every once in a while, because, you know, there are certain bonds of friendship that don't get broken, but there are a lot of people that I have not spoken to in eight years. And I used to see them almost every day for like five years. I know it's so weird. It, it, It is weird. Yeah. Um, no, I was. I mean, there, there are people who I've drifted apart from. I still respect the hell out of them. Like I follow them on social media, totally. back and forth. Yes. And, and case in point, because I brought up the Losers Club. Uh, I don't know if you remember him, Dan Caffrey. He did the sound yeah, design for, for Fault Lines, the show that that we mm-hmm. met and we worked together on. Wonderful, fantastic sound design. Um, 
he has a podcast that he's a part of called the losers club and yeah. they, um, and they break down like a Stephen King novel or book or something or whatever episode. I don't know if they do weekly episodes or biweekly, like whatever their schedule is, uh, but they have like a pretty good following. And then, uh, like a week and a half, two weeks ago, Stephen King gave them a shout out on Twitter. Wow. That's awesome. And I'm like, I, I hope I hope your website servers can handle it. I hope you're on a good <laughs> yeah, pod, right? I hope you're on a good podcast network because you're about to blow up. Uh, and then a few days ago, they won in the in the world of podcasts. I don't know what it is like. They they just won some huge award for uh, for the horror genre. Oh, nice. So uh, if you're a Stephen King fan at all, go go check out the Losers Club podcast. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll say like yeah, there are people who I I don't con I don't talk to on the regular, but I still follow their work and, and respect the hell out of them. The funny thing about about Dan, real quick, um, you know, hi Dan, uh, you're not going to listen to this, but uh, the funny <laughs> thing about about him and his wife Susan is that you know I met both of them obviously through Fault Lines, uh, the, the show that I worked on with you, and then I worked with Dan again um, on that um, that short play. Oh yes. series, yeah. One uh, of the, that, and, that that I will interrupt and say that is one of the most artistically rewarding shows I have done. Uh, and mm. all I did was I, I just picked the right cast and, and, yeah. and the short play was great. Uh, and, and no one saw it because you were in the second half of a very long night of short plays. I know. Yeah. And people, a lot of people left after the first half, but yeah. ah, well, um, yeah, but, but that was a great time. And I met, and I met some really cool people doing that and I was really glad to do that. And, and then the funny thing is, is then Jess and I bought our, our condo shortly after that. That's and, right. uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. he and Susan lived right around the corner That's from us, right. yeah. uh, for about a year. And we'd run into each other all the time, you know, whenever they were walking their dog or whatever, we would talk all the time about getting together, doing something, doing something. And then, of course, all of a sudden he got accepted into grad school down at Austin and, and they moved and we never actually hung out, even though we literally lived like a block away from one another for a year. <laughs> that is that is fantastic. Oh, we, we have a visitor here. Uh, special guest. Very yeah. special guest. Can, can I tell you something that, that warms my heart? So uh, Mama was getting him ready for bed Please. earlier and I was sitting out in the living room uh, watching TV with Eleanor and last couple nights I've been on like a, a, a little mini, uh, next generation kick watching some episodes from season five. Mm. Uh, the, the suede uniform jacket, the card suede <laughs> uniform jacket era, that, that weird yes. second half of season five. And he came in and he sat down next to me and he like watched the opening credits and he was fascinated with the starship. And I was like, Hey, this is, this is one of my favorite shows. One of my favorite shows when I was a kid. Uh, and, and I said, we can watch it sometime. And he's like, I want to watch it tomorrow morning with you. Aww. <laughs> so, That's yeah. the best. You want to watch it tomorrow morning? He's nodding his head. <laughs> it will not be his first that Star Trek, so cool. though, because a couple times in weakness, uh, we have watched a couple episodes of Lower Decks. Oh, nice. Together. <laughs> not exactly kid appropriate, but hey. Yeah, you know. All right, little guy. You got to go back to bed now. I love you. Give me kisses and hugs. I love you. I'll see you in the morning for daddy time. We'll hang out. That is the and we'll watch a video. Wholesome family entertainment that we aim for around here. Yes. I'm working right now, little guy. I love you. It. It's. It's. it's, We'll call it work. Yeah. It's interesting because you know there's no doubt that uh, obviously parenthood has had a a a big impact on. on that particular aspect of, you know, of, of our, of our lives, you know, we obviously, when we met one another, you, you know, that was kind of, uh, that was the thing, you know, it was like, you 
we were here, we were here in this city and we were, and we were, we were here, we were put here on this earth to do theater, you know, theater. and, uh, yes. uh yeah, theater. And now, um, it's, it's not, you know, it's not like that. And, and the thing is, it's funny because we were talking about some of those experiences making like a couple hundred dollars, but like both of us have also had experiences where we've made really good money considering the amount of work that we had to do. You know, you, you have those gigs where it's just like, I mean, you know, it's like, Oh, you're, you're going to pay me how much to say lines in front of a camera for two days. Like what? Oh, sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's absurd. And I was thinking my, my very first job out of college, I, I did professional touring children's theater and the pay mm-hmm. wasn't great, but it was a livable wage. Yeah. Um, but I got fired from that first job. Along with the rest of the cast. Oh, dear God. Because one day, the person who was supposed to fire off the fog machine at the reveal of the gingerbread house in Hansel and Gretel. Oh, God. Didn't fire it off. And the owner of the company who wrote in the shows and acted in the shows, she interpreted that as a conspiracy theory to sabotage her work. (laughs) And so we weren't fired. But just none of us were contacted again for the oh. next show. But we knew. We, I, knew we, we knew that we were all fired. So, yeah. I can only say that I am fortunate that the writer, producer uh, of the children's theater troupe that I was a part of out of college was a little bit more magnanimous than that. Because he um, super nice guy. And one of the things that, that you know, we all... Um, got hired on for this gig from, you know, different places. Uh, I didn't know anybody before I started. A couple people kind of knew each other, but um, we had our rehearsals in Indianapolis, but the company was actually based out of Goshen, Indiana, which is not far from South Bend for anybody who's, who's keeping score here. And, um, and so he, we, we toured all over the country like we went, you know, as far as, as like, you know, places in New Jersey to, you know, Northwestern Wisconsin, uh, and everywhere in between pretty much. So, you know, we, we, we cut a pretty big swath through the country. Well, obviously he did not go to a lot of those shows, but we did happen to have, uh, a, a week where we were sort of in the Goshen area and we knew he was going to show up at some point. We did not expect him to show up to our Monday show because we just figured it's Monday. He's probably going to show up later in the week, you know, whatever. For whatever reason, and I can't remember what it was, Sunday night, we all had a really good time. And (laughs) Monday, we were dragging ass. And one of the things about the show is that, like, you, you know, when you're doing this kind of work, you're you're not getting paid just to be an actor. You're also getting paid because you're driving the van, you're setting up the stage, you're you know fielding questions afterwards from the students. You know you're 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 you're, you're coordinating your own travel. Like the, we all four of us, there were four of us in this troop, and like all four of us each had different jobs. And my job, I was the the lead driver. Um, you know, we had somebody who basically was the scheduler. So they they literally would like uh, you know take care of like travel and hotels and all that sort of stuff. Uh, anyway, so we get there, we have to set everything up at like seven o'clock in the morning. You know, we're, we're all hurting a little bit and we realize that we have to do, cause there were like four different shows that we did, uh, in rep only there was one of those four shows that we rarely ever did because it was just one that the schools didn't ask for. Uh, it was, it was, it was, 
aimed at a little bit more of a mature crowd. Uh, you know, they usually asked for the, I'm having trouble with my math test. I mean, you know, that sort of stuff. And this one was one that dealt with, you know, some more, not adult themes, but mature themes. Like my character, for instance, his dad was an abusive alcoholic. And, and so like one of the things that my character is like smoke cigarettes and slacked off and, you know, and all this sort of stuff and was a little bit of a bully on top of it all. Um, so, so anyway, we hadn't done this show in forever. We're all hungover. We get up there. And as soon as we get ready to do the show, Ben, one of the castmates, Ben looks at me and he goes, Oh shit, Don's here. And I was like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. And like, you know, that particular show, like my character is like the lead. And so we go out there and I was just making shit up. I was just making stuff up. And I'm thinking to myself, the guy who wrote this play is in the audience and I'm just pulling shit out of my ass. That is as close to the actor's nightmare you can get in real life. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it was it was terrible. And and we all felt awful afterwards. And so, of course, you know, we drilled those lines for the next like two weeks in the van driving from town to town. And we did end up doing the show a few more times. But of course, Don never saw it again. So whatever. But hey, you know, it was a valuable experience. I learned a lot. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Turing Children's <sighs> Theater. They're so... There's so much. Anyway, um, uh, uh, to shift gears back a little bit, uh, how, uh, speaking of, to, to back other like life update stuff, yeah. are you getting any closer to, to putting your place out into the world on the market? Bring in the buyers. Uh, It'll so, be out there for five minutes, 10 offers, 50000 over asking price. That would all be awesome. Here's the thing. Uh, the answer to your question is yes. However, the increment in which we have moved forward is not so great that I'm enthusiastic about actually being able to put it on the market soon. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've started a lot of the work. We've contacted the realtor that that we worked with last time. You know, we started answering his questions, getting stuff together. Um, the, you know, the, the process for getting the place to where we want it to be, um, is, is really in a lot of ways just beginning. So, you know, the, I, I, you know, the, the difficult thing for me, and we've not yet reached this point with our realtor. So let's just have a little conversation right here for everybody's sake, is that there are a couple of things that you just ask yourself, do I invest in changing this? You know, do I buy a new door, you know, sliding door for our, uh, laundry room, you know what I mean? Laundry room, it's a laundry closet, but you know, do I, you know, do I buy that new door or do I just say like, well, why am I going to spend money on that door? Because how much is it really going to affect, you know, the, the, the asking price of our condo? How broken, how broken is it? Uh, it's not even broken. It's just the fact that it doesn't slide. Okay. Don't buy that. that, That's a short, (laughs) don't buy a new door. Right. They may not even notice. They'll notice it during the inspection. Yeah. yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And so really at this point, all we really have to do is, is, is clean and paint. And then I would say we'll be ready. The problem with the cleaning is that m- me, especially I have, uh, I have a lot of stuff 
And I've been getting rid of a lot of stuff recently. I even actually sold a bunch of stuff today. Uh, and, and, and that's great. It's a good feeling. Uh, but the truth of the matter is I need to get rid of more stuff or at the very least pack it up and get it out of here. Because at this particular point, I feel like if somebody were to come through and, and, and see the place with all of my stuff in it, which they wouldn't anyway, you, you always get rid of some stuff, you know, whether you're putting it in storage or whatever before, before you do that, it would, it would just, it would reflect poorly. <laughs> a ten you know. by a ten by ten storage unit in Chicago, the average price is a hundred bucks. Yeah, load that stuff up. Yeah, go, go throw it in a storage unit for like a. I mean, it, it will not take a month to sell your place in the market that we're in. Yeah, just go put it in a storage. Mean- the interesting thing uh, that, that we've been thinking about, too, and this is very odd for me because I never thought we'd do this again, especially after you bought this place, is we've actually been considering renting for a little bit before we buy the next place. I mean, that's what we did. Yeah. Um, like we, we had a place, we sold it, and we've been renting for the last couple of years because we didn't know whether we we're going to ultimately stay in Chicago and it didn't make sense to buy again. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, if you don't know where you're going to end up or, or I, I would say, like, unless you know that you're going to be staying in your next place, like, well into, like, Hattie's teenage years. Right. Yeah. And I think that that was the the intent. The 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 idea was that whatever place we get next, that's what we would do you know we wanted to as they say in the commercials and on the blogs our forever home uh we we were kind of aiming for that but i i think that with the market being the way that it is right now and as we talked about last time around maybe it wouldn't be such a bad idea to find a place that's bigger that gives us the room we're looking for that we take the opportunity to uh have that for a while Maybe see if the market cools off a little bit. Take the money that we get from the condo, you know, save that, put it in a CD or, you know, invest it, do something with it. And then and then use it down the road when a house right now that, you you know, is might be like you were saying, it might be fifty thousand dollars cheaper in a few years uh, or at the very least not feel like we're, you know, having to do an old fashioned knife fight like sharks and jet style <laughs> yeah. in order to, in order to get the house that we want. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of questions, man. <laughs> I gotcha. Cool. And it's also like when you're trying to sell and buy a place too, it can also be very di- like, like, like timing that right to like jumping from one place to another. So yeah. Right. Cool. So what do you, cause been- that was, go ahead. I was uh, to, to, to kind of close it off is one of the things that we kind of talked about is that if, if we ha- absolutely had to, we could time things in such a way that we could, you know, we could move and be into a place right before this place, like actually, you know, was was done and closed and over with. And if that meant that we had a mortgage payment and a rent payment for one month, like we could handle that. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like it would that wouldn't that wouldn't like kill us or whatever. Whereas, you know, having to come up with the money to put a down payment on a new house before selling this place, that would be virtually impossible at this point. Um, I'm, I'm not super knowledgeable of them, so I don't know like exactly how they work, but have you heard of it like bridge loans? No. So a bridge loan is exactly for the situation you're in where you need to buy a new place, but you're not going to have your down payment until you sell your current place. Uh So basically a mortgage broker or a bank or whatever, 
will give you a, a bridge loan to get you over that bridge. It's a short-term loan to get you that down payment, which you pay back almost immediately after you get the proceeds from selling your home. That does sound lovely. I don't know exactly how that works or what you need to do to qualify, but right. I, I do know that that is a thing in the world that exists. <laughs> Speaking of things in the world that exist, exists, yeah. you're going to ask me a question. Uh, like, so, yeah, what are, what, what are you watching? What are you geeking out on right now? Man, uh, so I'll be completely honest. Uh, I've been watching a lot of wrestling recently because uh, in addition to the other podcast where I'm talking about it, uh, I've also been writing uh, like some you know, short bios and card stats for this game that I was talking about. So I've been watching a lot of that. But... As far as something that might interest our listeners. Uh, <laughs> Who have made it the half uh, hour of just talking, <laughs> yeah, self-indulgent right. <laughs> talk about our personal lives. Thank you for listening. Um, yes, thank you very much. Uh, it's been fun. Hmm. Uh, I have been watching a, a British detective program called George Gently, which I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast before, because I know that I, I watched the first season, which is only like three episodes, because they're like an hour and a half each. Uh, each episode is an hour and a half, uh, and the seasons are fairly short, three to four episodes. Um, and, uh, I watched the first season, it would have been probably about five years ago or so, maybe. Uh, well, recently I decided to start rewatching it and, uh, now I'm, you know, up, up into the middle of the third season right now. It's just so fantastic. I, I love it. Uh, Martin Shaw plays the, the title character, uh, older British actor. He's just so wonderful in it. Um, uh, um. Lee Ingleby uh, is, is plays his partner John Bacchus uh, in the show, and he's you know he's a younger character, and so there's this you know interesting dynamic between you know the younger guy and the older guy, and uh, um, the the fascinating thing is that you know George Gently is obviously more experienced, but he's also a little bit more liberal uh, in, in certain ways than his partner is. Uh, there's, there was an episode just recently actually where that deals with a lot with racism and prejudice. And, you know, you'd almost think that like, Oh, clearly the crusty old white dude is going to be the one who's, you know, probably has some of those tendencies, not the young sixties, you know, mod guy, because it takes place in the sixties, I should add. Uh, but it was actually the other way around, which I found really interesting, especially the, the, the reasonings behind it and the logic behind it and some of the conversations that they have. Um, and I also appreciate the fact that the episode didn't try to like fix racism. Do you know what I mean? Oh, sure. Like some, like some shows when they deal with the topic of racism, they Color have to of fix truth. <laughs> Right, right. Exactly. Uh, God bless it. It's such a good episode though. Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas, you know, in George Gently, it's kind of by the end of, of the, the episode, you just sort of, you're like, yeah, this is, that's the way things are as opposed to making you feel good about it. It's, you know, it's taking the time to kind of like, Say, like, look at how shitty things are. It is the black know. on white on fire. Yes. More, yes. more to that. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but the series as a whole is just, I, I really enjoy it. And uh, the, the mysteries are well constructed to the point that oftentimes you really are kind of wondering who, you know, who done it. Uh, up until maybe the last like 10, 15 minutes. And the interesting thing is, is that sometimes there's like multiple mysteries, you know, where, where yes, you're looking for the, the murderer, but within that, you know, you've got these other 
you know, little mysteries that are happening. And it's really interesting to kind of, it's not a procedural per se, but it's interesting to see how they get from point A to B to C to, you know, oh, we've got our, our man or woman uh, now. And uh, it's just, I, I, again, I love the time capsule nature of it as well. Cause again, it takes place in the 1960s uh, in, uh, in Great Britain. Um, and uh, there's just a lot of really cool dynamics at play. Uh, you know, some of the characters, obviously George Gently himself, cause he's old enough fought in world war two. So, so there's a lot of like kind of the ghosts of World War II that play into all of this. One of the episodes deals with the IRA. Uh, you know, the, the episode I just watched recently, again, deals with like um, uh, racism against uh, Muslims um, and, and Arabs living in, in Great Britain during the 60s. And, uh, and there's also that generational conflict, which is also fascinating because you've got, you know, Bacchus, who's in like, you know, his late 20s, early 30s. And then you've got George Gently, who's in like his 60s. Um, and uh, it's really, the characters are really well drawn. The acting's great. Um, and I, I've really, I've just really been enjoying it. So that's kind of been the 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 main thing that I've been watching um, recently. Cool. Yeah. What about you? Yeah. Um, anything, uh, like I said, like a little bit, like just like winding down and not wanting to give too much concentration. Uh, Star Trek doing like a little season five binge. We watch, uh, re watch. There we go. <laughs> um, new show. I watched the first episode of the man in the high castle. Oh yeah. Over the last couple of nights. Have you seen that? I've not actually. So, uh, so for the uninitiated, um, it's based on a, uh, it's an Amazon series. It's based on a Philip K. Dick novel. And the premise, we are in uh, 1962 in an alternate universe where the Nazis um, um, won World War II. Um, so the United States is under a Nazi regime, but there is a resistance and a mysterious figure known only as the man in the high castle is distributing copies of a, copies of a newsreel from basically from our universe showing how the allies won world war two. And it's a symbol of hope. Some people think it's Mm. fake. Some people think it can't be fake because how, like in, you know, in 1960s, how do you reproduce? How do you create a propaganda (laughs) film that looks like that? Like showing like people like, you know, like through the streets of New York and the parades and, you know, Winston Churchill and whatever. Um, and, uh, so yeah, uh, I, I like it. I don't know. It's there's four seasons at least so far. I don't know if I want to commit that much. Like I want to see it as a movie. Just give it to me in movie form. I don't know if I have the commitment level <laughs> for four seasons. Yeah, it's you know it's funny because I've not yet seen it. I've been interested in it, you know, for a while now because yeah, it's been around for like five five six years yeah. I think. Um, the uh, one of the things that I ended up reading about it without you know staying away from spoilers is that there were a lot of people who were so satisfied with the first season that they didn't know, not that it was finished, but they didn't know what else they they would be able to get from the show. And sure. I know I've heard some people not necessarily enjoying the later seasons as much as the first season. But on the flip side of that, I've heard a lot of people who you know are just diehards and love the show regardless. So. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I need to, I definitely need to check it out though. All right. I'll give the first season a shot. And as soon as the second season starts to slide, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm old. I'm in my forties. I don't have time. Yeah. Uh, the, the luxury of time is yes. not yours. Yeah. Uh, so beyond the, uh, so speaking of Philip K. Dick, um, 
before that last weekend, just on a lark because it showed up as a suggestion in my Netflix, I went back and I watched oh, God. Total Recall. Yeah. From 1990, which I hadn't seen in over 20 years. And I remember, like, enjoying the movie. Like, I remember, like, I really, oh, yeah. more than anything, I really loved the premise of the movie. Yep. Um, so I went back and rewatched it. And I forgot, oh, it's, I forgot how much violence there is. And, and like, yeah. the, like, the dark, s- satirical styling of right. that violence. I had forgotten that aspect of it. So, yeah. And, and, and like, oh, God, all the one-liners. I forgot, like, how many bad Asta La Vista level one-liners there are. Yeah. Yeah. Which makes sense, you know, because the thing is, is it was done by the same director and a lot of the creative team that had done RoboCop before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And RoboCop, of course, you know, also has that sort of, like, dark, satirical, you know, vibe to it as well. Also some one-liners. Uh and, and and a lot of the same cast, you know, like Miguel Ferrer is in it, uh, Ronnie Cox. There's, you know, there's some, some you know, familiar Ronnie faces that Cox. pop up between, yeah, right, uh, between both of them. Um, but uh, I have very fond memories of it. I, I can remember enjoying it quite a lot when I was a kid. Um, not that I should have been watching it when I was 10, but I was. And, <laughs> uh, but I also haven't seen it probably in about 20 years. Um I would be interested in seeing it again just to see how I feel about it now compared to the, uh, then. Cause it's interesting because RoboCop actually is one that I rewatched not too long ago. And I found myself enjoying parts of it that as a kid, I didn't pay any attention to at all. And not enjoying some of the stuff that of course as a kid you know the the some of the action sequences and whatnot uh that i had enjoyed so much when i was younger sure Um, there's something about sort of the that high octane you know over the top violence ultra violence that's the word i'm looking for uh in a movie like robocop that uh to me and this is just for me personally, doesn't hold up, or at least I don't view it in the same way as I did when I was younger. Sure. Which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I know. Yeah. There, there's, uh, and, and we talked about it before, like I, I just have a weird thing with violence now. I, I can tolerate it a lot less. And yeah. in like total recall, like, like there's a scene where, uh, just an innocent bystander gets caught in the crossfire between Arnold Schwarzenegger and the bad guys. He gets shot, and then for like three minutes, Schwarzenegger proceeds to hold his dead body and uses it as a human shield. Yeah. And it's just, yeah. 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 Um, no coincidence that Schwarzenegger would go on to star in a film called Collateral Damage. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. So, yeah, and then after that, I, I was curious, and I checked out the 2012 version with Colin Farrell. Yeah. And, I, and, and I, I don't know if you saw my commentary about this on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I but, did. But yeah. I was like, man, 1990s Total Recall, good for nostalgia's sake, does not hold up. Then I watched the 2012 version. The 1990 version is a timeless masterpiece <laughs> compared to the 2012. It's not that the 2012 version is bad. It's just yeah. it's just a nothing. It's a friend of the podcast, previous guest, Larry Ganey. Like he commented that uh, him and his wife and another couple friend, uh, they went to see it. Um, they went to see, hang on just one second. 
What's up, kiddo? All right, come on in here. Thank you for your patience, listeners. Come on in here. Um, so Larry Ganny, uh, him and the, some friends, they went to see it when it first came out in theaters. And, you know, he commented that after the movie, they all went out to eat. And then at the end of the dinner, they realized that they had not talked about the movie at all. Oh, Afterwards, man. like the movie was just that forgettable. Um, that is a sign. <laughs> and I think that's it's it's not bad. It's just it's not bad. It's not offensive. It's just as soon as the movie's over with, it's just um, uh, hang on just one second. All right, kiddo. Time for you to go to bed. OK, I love you. Good night. Maybe we'll edit this out. Maybe we won't. I don't know. <laughs> All right, Cody, you got to be in bed. Go. I love you. Sweet dreams. Um, so I won't do a big, um, you know, like critique or review of it. I will say, like, one, they don't go to Mars in this version. Oh, interesting. I'll see you in the morning, kiddo. I love you. I love you. Uh, they don't go to Mars. Um, and like once I realized they weren't going to Mars, I was like, "Oh man, what's the point?" Because to me, that was such an integral part of the first one. I'll see you in the morning. I'll see you in the morning, kiddo. I love you. All right, we'll see Mama in the morning too, kiddo. It's time for you to go to bed now. I love you. Good night. Um, and they do a weird thing where they uh, they mash up basically Sharon Stone's character and Michael mm-hmm. Ironside's character. Oh, wow. Oh, that's weird. So after the reveal that of like like the wife is not really his wife, blah, blah, blah. She yeah. becomes the one who chases him throughout the rest of the movie. Oh, interesting. And, and yeah, that's all I can really say about it. Uh, Brian Cranston. He's uh, what, what's what's the character's name? Uh, Cohagen. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. That's the Ronnie Cox character. Yeah. The, right? he, yeah he's the Ronnie Cox <laughs> yeah. character. Uh, he, he comes in, he chews the scenery and so, yeah, um, I will say do not recommend, it's not even significant enough to say, don't recommend. Uh, if you just happen to find it on one time and it pops up in your suggestions, go ahead, watch it. And then afterwards, yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's fascinating to me because some of those types of remakes, uh, not not that there's any comparison because I, I I can't speak to it, uh, directly, but it reminds me a little bit, uh, of like the psycho remake where it's not, not that total recall is a classic in the same way that psycho was a classic, but it seems like a completely unnecessary remake. You know, it's just sort of like, why, why are we remaking this when there are so many other stories out there to potentially tell? Um, but at the same time, you know, I really like Colin Farrell and, uh, you know, I, I, there's there's some of his performances that I just think are absolutely incredible out of this world, especially early in his career. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, maybe 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 it'll be something that I check out at some point. Maybe it won't be. Um, speaking of Larry Ganny, Larry commented on our post. Yeah, and, you just, and, yeah we, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Yeah. And we want to, we want to get to Karen's, uh, comment as well. But, uh, I just thought since we were, you know, we'd mentioned Larry, we could get to this one, uh, real quick. He asked about, uh, our musical tastes, um, favorite, favorite bands and artists. Um, Dennis, you go first. I don't, uh, <laughs> I don't know if we've ever talked about music on the podcast. Um, strangely, I'm, uh, 
I, I'm, I grew up on country music, weirdly into country. Like all kinds of country music, I'm not picky about it. New, old, whatever. Um, usually I tend to drift more towards 80s country, um, mm-hmm. 70s and 80s country. We listened to a lot of that in the final few weeks before Harrison was born. Um, oh, wow, okay. That's, that's how he got his middle name. Uh, Harrison's yeah. middle name is Cash. Um, and, and, we, and we had his, his first name locked down. And we just knew we wanted his middle name to be one syllable, just be, just mm-hmm. like like the you know Harrison Frymeyer. Anything more than one syllable for a middle name would just be too much. <laughs> sure, sure. And, and so one night on the couch, like me and Betsy are sitting there, we're sipping whiskey, um, and like we're not directly talking about the name, but it's just it, it's just on our minds, you know, because we've been talking about it for several days. And then Ring of Fire started playing. And Betsy and I looked at each other, and almost simultaneously, we said, cash. Nice. Still weren't sure on it. Had a couple of backups. And then after he was born, and he was nursing for the first time, I looked down to take a picture. And just just by coincidence, one of his hands looked like <laughs> it, was flipping, it was flipping me off as he was feeding for the first time. Like, all right, that locks it in. There we go. That's great. Um, I don't really know if I have like like any like favorite bands that I'm huge that I'm dedicated into. Uh, listen to a lot of country, uh, a lot of Americana. I like listening to Americana, like John Prine, like you know that. Mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. Um, love listening to it. Always puts me in a really melancholy mood. Sure, sure. And some days I can't take it. I'm like, oh, that that's enough. I'm out. Turn yeah. it off. Switch it. How about, how about you? You 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 have more. Like you you actually play. You sing. Um, yeah, I sing too. Like uh, I I don't sing. Like I'm like I could be the lead singer of the crappy mediocre cover band that you get drunk to at a bar on Saturday night. <laughs> and you think, man, Amen. they should go somewhere. And then the next day, you don't remember me. Um, I, I, I'll tell you what, though. Yeah, a lot of times those crappy mediocre cover bands make more money. I know, than I know. dudes like me strumming their guitar, playing songs they wrote. Sure. Um, the, the yeah so the interesting thing is that um i well maybe it's interesting i don't know maybe it's not uh i you know i do have pretty varied tastes and i grew up i i, I kind of similar to you you know grew up on on a lot of country music a lot of times depending on because we moved around a lot when i was a kid depending on where we lived we either listened to the country station or the oldie station whichever station played elvis that was the station we listened to because some places didn't have an oldie station um and some places that had a country station they would play elvis tunes you know periodically so that was that was what we listened to so i heard a lot of country music growing up um um, but when i kind of got old enough to pick my own music i i don't know exactly why i think the timing was just right in a lot of ways i immediately went to uh, like Jimi Hendrix and the Doors and the Beatles. Uh, I got into the Beatles eventually. It took me, it took me a little while. I was probably like 14 or 15, uh, which was perfect timing also because that was right around the time that, um, the Beatles anthology came out. And of course there was so much hype around that and the albums were coming out in the store and, you know, and the documentary was airing on ABC, a Beatles C, uh, as they rebranded themselves there for a time. Uh, and so I was really heavily into the Beatles for a while. Um, and then got into Springsteen, and and I, the Springsteen to this day I'm still really into, and I'm still into the Beatles as well. Like the Beatles is, is something that I share with Hattie. Like we listen to Beatles songs all the time, and she asks for it now. You know, she's old enough to ask for like certain songs, like Yellow Submarine and uh, 
Octopus's Garden and Come Together. Those, those for whatever reason, those are three of her favorites. Although she also thinks that Let It Be and Yesterday are beautiful. Like when Yesterday starts to play, she'll she'll say, "This song is beautiful." <laughs> um, so so yeah, there's still a lot of Beatles in the house. But uh, Springsteen is big for me. I actually saw Springsteen on Broadway. Uh, my friend Ron and I, you know, flew out to. Uh, well, he took a train, um, but I flew out there, uh, just for the day pretty much to see Springsteen on Broadway and then flew back the next day. Um, whereas he was staying out there for like a week or so, but, uh, uh, which was a magical experience. Um, when I was doing that children's theater gig that I was telling you about, I got into Towns Van Zandt and Towns Van Zandt is, is still probably one of my favorite songwriters. Um, I'm, I'm just such a huge fan of his. He's one of those guys that you listen to and you're just sort of like, I could never, I could never do that. Like he's, he's so far beyond, you know, the, the, the good that, that any of, you know, the people that I play with think we are, that it's not even, you know, it's not even comparable. Um, uh, Tom Waits is somebody else that I really love. Uh, as predictable as, as it might sound, the guy that, you know, I, I go back to periodically and, you know, and have, and have played his songs a lot live, uh, is Bob Dylan. Um, you know, I got, when, when I got into Bob Dylan, I, I just dove right in and, and never, never came out of the water. Um, you know, he's still, uh, uh, pretty towering for me. Uh, Johnny Cash as well. You know, I, I, I got into Johnny Cash, uh, you know, I mean, obviously I knew who he was and I'd listened to his music, but I really got into him about a year or two before he died, um, mm. and just yeah. started devouring his music and playing his music and doing what, you know, and then of course, you know, after he passed and Walk the Line came out and everything, it was, you know, it was something where it was just sort of like, I'd been listening to his music for a few years at that point and been you know heavily into him. And, and now everybody was into him and it was just sort of like, this is great. You know, I'm so glad that like people my age rather, I mean, obviously a lot of people were into him before that, but people my age, you know, that college age when that movie came out were, you know, really mm-hmm. into him. So you, I, I could go to a bar and I could play his songs and people wouldn't like, you know, laugh or roll their eyes. Whereas if I had done that a few years prior, you know, my age group probably would have been like, what are you playing? Oh, man? sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, as far as newer music, um, the Gaslight Anthem is one of my favorite bands. Uh, they're, they, they, they really no longer exist, but their lead singer and songwriter, Brian Fallon, uh, has released a few solo albums, and I just I love his stuff. He had a solo album come out last year, uh, right towards the very beginning of the pandemic, and that, that was on repeat uh, for me for the first few months of the pandemic, and, and it helped a lot. Uh, somebody else whose album came out around that time as well, who I'm really into, is Jason Isbell. Uh, I love Jason Isbell. And, um, yeah, I just think he's fantastic. Um, yeah, I mean, I could, I could, I could go on forever about yeah. this. I, you know, and I go, I, I go through phases too, where I'll listen to somebody, you know, heavily for a while. Like David Bowie is a guy sure. that I don't listen to all the time, but when I listen to Bowie, I listen to Bowie, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like, there is no other artist, but Bowie, yeah. um, y- y- you know, so, and I, and everyone, so I'll still go back to like Elvis or, uh, the doors, you know, stuff that I listened to when I was a lot younger, but, yeah. um, I try to, you know, I try to listen to new stuff too. I try to keep myself, but I kind of like what you're saying. I find myself sticking to genres more and more where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm, I'm probably not going to listen to, you know, the number one pop 
album on the charts right now, but I'll listen to the number one Americana album, you know, oh, sure. I'll listen to the, you know, and there's some crossover every once in a while, like Taylor Swift, like her last couple of albums that she released during the pandemic, I think are phenomenal. I Americana will totally albums. get down to some Taylor Swift and I am not yeah. even ashamed. Right. I mean, yeah, the, the, there's 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 just so much great stuff out there. And, and uh, I think the for me, because I've always been kind of an album guy where I want to listen to a full album, uh, I, I kind of I dragged my feet a little bit on streaming services. And when I finally started listening to music through streaming services, uh, I use Tidal, uh, which is, you know, the Jay-Z, Jack White. Uh, streaming service. When I finally started listening to it, the thing that I love about it is I can listen to a whole album, and when the album ends, they'll basically start playing a song, you know, immediately afterwards that they think is comparable to what you were just listening listening to. And I've discovered, you know, some artists for myself that way. So uh, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for for that type of thing too. Um, Yeah, yeah. This is a conversation that could go on. Yeah, yeah. I will say, I'm like, I am. I am what I would consider like a casual fan of Bruce Springsteen. And I say casual in that, like I just have like a passing knowledge of like most of his music and his whatever. But when Bruce Springsteen comes on, it's like church. Yes. You shut up and you listen to Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's how I feel about that. Um, I don't know if we ever talked about this. Like the, one of the shows that you and I worked on together, you were talking about like that, that short piece. Uh, yeah. It was all. It was all based on uh, Radiohead songs. I can't. I can't remember what particular album. Today we escape. Was that yes. it? Yes. That was the name of the. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was the name of the anthology. Um, that theater company, Tympanic Theater Company, which is no more, unfortunately. Uh, the first time they did that was a Bruce Springsteen album. Yeah, uh, I can't. Uh, Nebraska. Nebraska. It Nebraska. That's wasn't it. it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and what's the one about the about the the no good brother? Oh, Highway Patrolman. That's Highway one Patrol. of my favorite. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that I, was oh, I was oh. I was in that play. It was a short piece, um, like based on that. And the really interesting thing, like you you thought you were like performing your show in a, in a small black box theater, like yeah. the venue that this other show was done in was like small, like literally like a black box, like <laughs> chairs just lined the outside of the room. Yeah. Um, and, and our particular piece, it was all lit directly by flashlight. We all just lined, shined flashlights on each other mm, throughout the entire wow, piece. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah, it was a re- yeah really interesting, dark, whatever. Anyway, um, so another uh, we put this out there. Like, what should we talk oh, about? You tonight? know, what? I just want to. I just I, I gave short shrift to the women, and I feel bad about oh, that. Sure, I got to yeah, mention yeah. Jenny Lewis. Jenny okay. Lewis, yeah. I love Jenny Lewis. Uh, she was actually a child actor, formerly. of Rilo Kiley, um, and, uh, Valerie June. Um, she's an amazing artist, uh, newer artist. And then, uh, Nina Simone. I could listen to Nina Simone anytime, man, anytime. Um, so yeah, I just wanted yeah. to, I just, I, I, as I, as I was naming all these people, I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm, I'm leaving some people out. I need to get, I need to get the ladies represented. Oh, for so. sure. I was, yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, women's albums. It's not newer, but I've enjoyed it recently. Uh, the chicks, formerly the Dixie chicks. Mm-hmm, Their mm-hmm. last album, Gaslighter, I yeah. really enjoyed. Uh, also, The Highway Women, which is yes. like a Yes, I enjoy them. Yeah, Jason Isbell's uh, wife, Amanda Shires, or rather, Amanda Shires' husband happens to be Jason Isbell. She's in The Highway Women, uh, yeah. and uh, yeah, that's, that's a great album. Yeah. Great album. Uh, so anyway, so uh, Karen uh, Saxon, also a listener, she asked us to talk about what we know about uh, Michael Shore. 
his universe, Parks and Rec, The Good Place, because we talked about The Good Place a couple episodes ago. I will say, like, The Good Place is the one I'm most familiar with. Um, he, he also started off as a writer on The Office, which I recently finished up and binged a few months ago. Um, and, and Parks and Rec, like, I watched, like, the first couple seasons, but then I just kind of dropped off, and I, I've just never gone back to finish it. But uh, I enjoy what he does. Like, I, like, The Good Place, I think, is like is, is a good thesis statement of... of uh, of his work. His yeah. Humor, his, yeah. What he does. Yeah. I, I completely agree. It's, you know, it's interesting because there is definitely a type of humor, um, that, that I think is, um, represented, identifiable, whatever the hell the word I'm looking for sure. is, uh, in his work, uh, whether it's his, you know, his script work, like he did on the office. Um, uh, you know, he played the character of Moe's on the office as well. Uh, and, you know, or Parks and Rec or The Good Place. And yet you, you, you look at some of the shows that he's worked on, or of course, in the case of The Good Place, like created, obviously. Uh, and you can see that there are, um, there's very different playgrounds that he's playing in. You know, this isn't somebody who just, you know, is just coming to, to write the same thing over and over again. You know, they're, 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 they are trying new things and I appreciate that about him. And I appreciate the, you know, the, the, the risks, the, um, the courage of a show like the good place in particular. Um, I'd have to, I, I you know, I'd have to actually look it up because I'm not a hundred percent sure, you know, the extent of his work on, um, Parks and Rec. I know he's the co-creator, but I don't necessarily know like which, uh, uh, episodes that he was, you know, responsible for, um, or, or, or not, you know, but, but, you know, the, the thing is, is that Parks and Rec, I, I mean, from the second season, uh, pretty much through to the end, although I think that the second to last season, um, you know, like, I don't know. There, there are definitely, it's not as consistent later on as it was for like season's two through four, maybe. Um, but, uh, I mean, that, that for me is definitely, you know, probably one of my, one of my top 10 shows. I I love parks and rec so much. And, uh, I, I think that the nice thing about the show is that, um, when it's not being too absurd, uh, it's able to do some, some really, really cool, interesting and very, very funny, relatable things with uh with interesting yet relatable characters which i really appreciate it's the same thing about the show like the office you know i think that they have that in common but then you look at the good place and i think that you know here's something that really uh stretches you know that really you know pushes the bounds of that creativity and the format as well frankly of of television which i really appreciate um unfortunately i've never seen brooklyn 99 so i same here. Cannot speak to it at all. Yeah. I know that there are people out there that love it. I just haven't gotten around to it. No. I, I will ask you this because I know you're a huge fan of The Office and Parks and Rec. I know from recently reading The Office book, which I, I still need to drop off by your place at some point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, originally, Parks and Rec was going to start off as an Office spinoff. Yeah. And basically it, was, basically, it was going to be in the same universe, but then that didn't happen. Like, they even so, went so far as to cast... Rashida, 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 mm-hmm. Rashida Jones, who was uh, a recurring player on the office for a season or two. And they cast her as a completely different character in Parks and Rec as the, like, like as a break to say like, no, this, these are two separate universes. Yeah. Do you have any strong feelings about that? 
I think that one of the things that is evident about Parks and Rec is that the first season was clearly, I think, kind of trying to be that spinoff. And when you know they realized that, that wasn't really going to work, uh, that, that things took off in, in season two because they were able to break away from that. And I think that by, you know, doing what they did with Rashida's character, for instance, uh, that that was sort of the, the beginning of that. Because I, I, I think that I've read that they knew even before the show started that they didn't really want it to be The Office, but that a lot of the work had already been done. So there wasn't a lot. They couldn't change too much. So, for instance, if you look at the character of Leslie in season one, she is basically... Michael Scott as a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and there are parts in season one, even where like Jess and I, you know, we'll watch, or if we go back and we watch season one, that we're almost uncomfortable with the way that her character is drawn. Cause it feels so completely untrue. Cause she, cause there's, she does things that are kind of like mean and buffoonish. Sure. Much like Michael does, but you know, there's something about, and I think a lot of it is Steve Carell. And this is not a knock on Amy Poehler, who I think is brilliant as well. But like, there's something about Steve Carell that when he tells a group of high schoolers that he's going to pay for their college education and then shows up and just gives them laptop batteries because he can't actually do it. Cause he thought he was going to be a millionaire by the time, you know, they sure. graduated high school or whatever. Like y- you, <laughs> you can't help. You're like, this is so horrible and I'm so uncomfortable. And yet by the end of the episode, you somehow feel bad for Michael Scott. Sure. And it's like, how the fuck does that happen? And I think a lot of that is because of Steve Carell. Sure. Um, whereas I don't think that that worked for like the character of Leslie in the first season where there are instances where she feels just kind of mean. Um, and, and I didn't like that about her in retrospect, especially with where the character goes, because she's such a good good character, good person. You know, her character's a good person, a good human throughout the rest of the show that when you go back and look at some of those first season moments, they don't, they don't line up quite as well. I know. Uh, have you rewatched the first season of the office recently? Uh, I mean, it's been probably a couple years, but yeah. Cause when I, uh, I started a partial rewatch and then finishing that I had never finished years ago, a few months ago. So I started watching it like back before the 2020 election. And I got to tell you first season, Michael Scott, lands weird in a post-Trump era. Yeah. It's just, uh, there's some moments like, oh, like, I don't think bringing that first season on the air as it was now would work. But this is the really thing I want to say. I, I want to fire some shots about The Office here since we brought up Rashida Jones, who, by the way, sure. played Karen, uh, who was Jim's uh, short-lived Karen girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> yes, uh, Jim's short-lived girlfriend on his way for him and Pam eventually get together. Jim and Pam make a lovely couple. Yes. Jim and Karen would have been better for each other. Interesting. I can see that. I can, I can, you know, look, if you look at the overall context of the show from start to finish, uh, it, it, it is hard for me to completely just be like, no, you're so wrong. But if you look at, you know, like season four, five and six of The Office as a, in, in a bubble, you know, uh, then you are so wrong. <laughs> because <laughs> and the reason and the reason I say that is because their relationship 
it's it, it's so I mean it, it's just really so wonderfully written and explored by the actors over the course of those three seasons especially um you know through the 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 year of dating of getting engaged of of you know finding out Pam's going to have the baby of getting married of having the first baby that it's just it really is one of those things that when you look at it it's like that is that there's a kind of tenderness and love there that I I, I would hope could be universal between you know between couples and families and so but when you get to the later seasons then there's there's drama that I think they're creating and manufacturing, you know, for the show's sake. Sure. That I feel I feel like if you look at again in, in living in a bubble, uh, you look at Karen and Jim's relationship. That I don't know that Karen would have had the same issues with Jim, you know, wanting to aim higher than Dunder Mifflin exactly. and Scranton. She, like, she Karen would have been like, yeah, she would have been it. pushing him. Yeah, yeah, she would have. Yeah. Um, I no, I, I I see your point. Yeah. Um, and what, what I do appreciate about Karen's character is, like, they did not make her a bad person, which I right. feel like the easy thing would, like, to make her unlikable. So it was easy when Jim dumped her to go back to Pam. Yeah. Uh, as yeah. Like, like, and, like, this is all new to me. Like, this is old news to you because the series wrapped up years ago. Like, what they did with the boom mic guy in the final season oh. and Pam. Ugh. Like, how, how, how deep do you know about the behind the scenes of that storyline? Uh, I, I don't actually, I, I don't will, know much uh, about it. I, I'll just tease it a little bit and then I'll eventually drop by the book. I'm going to commit. I'm going to do it okay. sometime this weekend. I'm going to stop by. I'm going to drop the book off. Um, okay. that was going to be a much bigger storyline. Mm. They were, they were essentially, they were going to break Jim and Pam up. She mm. was going to get with the boom mic guy. And the Jim and Pam were going to get together in the finale, get back together in the finale. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fan backlash was so swift, they very quickly did a 180. Like, they had to substantially re-edit an episode or two yeah. to, to wrap that storyline up. Well, I heard, I did, I, I do remember hearing that uh, Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski did not like that storyline at all. Mm-hmm. That both of them were just sort of like, no, this is... Like, you know, we, we're not on board. Like, we'll do we'll do what you want. Yeah. Because well, I, we're the actors. We're the happy meat. But no. Yeah. I mean, from <laughs> what I understand, like John Krasinski, like he wanted to kind of push it to the edge. Like he wanted to see like how far they could get to like breaking Jim and Pam up. Mm. But have them come back together to explore that aspect of the relationship. But I think just the way that they did like the boom mic guy was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was kind of icky. I did, you know, I did think it was interesting that uh, I, I, I kind of appreciated the fact that they decided to, you know, finally kind of show some of what was happening, you know, behind the scenes, if you will. But I also feel like that if they, they, they could have done it earlier, you know, <laughs> they could have done it. They could have done it before then. Sure. Oh, I got I got little guy sitting on my on my lap right now. What 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 is what noise, little guy? The fan on the computer. Yeah. It's the computer running. It's just running a little bit hot. That's all it is. All right, kiddo, you need to go back to bed, okay? <laughs> I love you. Give me big kisses and hugs. I'll see you in the morning. Um, That's probably our side that we should wrap up soon. I was say we probably start wrapping up pretty soon, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I think that, um, yeah, I, I think that... Uh, it would have been interesting for them to maybe have done it a little bit sooner. 
Um, not too soon. Like, I, I don't think they should have touched that in the first, like, six, maybe even seven seasons. But I think somewhere around, you know, the time that, that, that Michael Scott left, uh, you know, they could have they could have done a little bit more with it because there were, you know, there were moments where, you know, he like a character would hand off a mic or obviously they were talking to, you know, the person, you know, behind the camera or whatever. But I I just feel like if they were going to show that, if they were going to have one of those people actually step into the world of the show, um, I would say that for consistency's sake, they should have done it sooner and in a way that seemed less overt, in a way that seemed less we're creating a storyline. Because with the boom mic dude, it just was like it was just so ham fisted that by the by that time I kind I you know I was just sort of like okay this is cool but. I feel like you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Sure. Um, you know, it would have been interesting to see this maybe happen a little bit before, especially when you hear him talk about the fact that like, you know, Pam and Jim had had dinner with him and his wife and, you know, they'd got out for drinks and they did all this sort of stuff. But it's just sort of like, well, why did we never see any of that? You know, why did we never see any of this before? It's like, it's like, um, there's this episode of how I met your mother where there's a bartender, who they and and it's funny the way that they do it because they they are almost kind of poking fun at the notion that this happens in TV shows and sitcoms where they take a character that we've never seen before but they have flashbacks to other episodes and they've digitally like inserted that character into the yep. flashbacks mm-hmm. and it's hilarious and it works but in this case it was one of those things where you're just kind of like scratching your head thinking like well why in the hell didn't we see any of this for the past 8 years sure yeah. yeah, sure, that sure. That's what started all this, sure. Michael. Oh, sure. yeah, that's what, yes, um, yes. That's a way to wrap it up. Very good. Karen, I'm sorry. We we didn't we we could have done better. <laughs> we could, yeah. But uh, so yeah, that's our that's. I do, I do. Like I said, I do love his work. I think that I think his work is very ambitious. Uh, obviously, the Good Place is a perfect example of that. Uh, he seems like an incredibly creative guy, and just based off of Parks and Rec and, and the Good Place alone, I mean, it, it, there's there's a reason why he's been successful, and there's a reason why a show like Good Place, which didn't necessarily get the highest ratings ever, was was basically given the opportunity to exist to 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 you know from beginning to end, uh, because this is a guy who had been responsible for you know some of the the best and highest rated comedy programs that NBC had ever had. So I feel like, uh, uh, you know, the good place is one of those shows where you just kind of feel like this is the little, the little show that could, um, but it had this creative mastermind behind it. And, and, and there's definitely a flair of genius to his work. Well said. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, on that note, we should wrap it up before my, uh, son comes in here. Uh, coming in here again. Cool. That's our potpourri episode. Hope, hope, uh, hope you enjoyed it. Let me know. Let us know. Um, send your hate mail to Dennis.front. No, um, <laughs> uh, oh, we, we should also like very briefly, uh, to not go too long. We should recognize that, uh, we're recording this on May the 7th. Two days ago was the 28th anniversary of the series finale of our, of our flagship show. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What is there? To, I, mean, I feel like we've said it all before, but yeah, what is there? It, it, you know, the subreddit over on Reddit has been very active recently because I think it, I think it's comment that, that has, you know, has been rehearing mm-hmm. the show and every once in a while I'll pop in and drop a thing and, you know, and be like, Hey, yeah, yeah. We discussed this on our you know podcast or blah, blah, blah. Um, it's interesting the way that, that people talk about the show and I, and, and I get the, the notion that there there's um, there's a couple of different kinds of fans of the show these days. There's the fan that views the show in the context of the same way they viewed it, you know, 30 years ago. 
and will not budge. They're they're kind of rigid in the way that they view that. Don't and, 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 and don't and listen to our podcast, sir. Don't right, listen exactly. to our podcast. <laughs> exactly. And then there are those that seem to be um, viewing it, you know, very much from a modern eye. Perhaps hadn't seen it before. Uh, you know, are are having fun with it and enjoying it, but also, you know, willing to kind of point out like inconsistencies or storylines that might not fly today, or you know, moments where Al seems a little, you know, this way or that. And so, it's just kind of interesting to see that through a different filter now that we've kind of finished our, you know, our run of the show. Hmm. I need to go over there to Reddit and check it out. Yeah. Some of it, some of it makes me roll my eyes. I'll be honest, but oh, sure. <laughs> some of it I mean, is, uh, you know, that, that's some true. Of it is, is, that's is true of anything on the discussion. internet, and that, that's what people say about our no podcast. Shit. Some of it makes uh, me roll my yeah. eyes. <laughs> but as soon as you stop listening, you'll be able to put your eyes back into your head. As soon as you stop uh, listening, and, uh, we're just like we're just like 2012 Total Recall. We're just out. We're gone. You just right. you just don't think we, about we're, it. You know what? We are our listeners' losers club. Once they stop listening to us, they forget about us completely. <laughs> And on that note, dear listeners, (laughs) (laughs) thank you all so much. This has been a lot of fun. It's been very different for us. Uh, uh, This is the type of episode that uh, before I press that, you know, publish button, I'm just going to be like, does anybody give a shit about this episode? What are are we doing? (laughs) We'll we'll find out. If you're one of the two people who make it to the end, let us know. All right, cool. And then we'll come back in your ears in a week or two, and maybe we'll have something more substantial to talk about. Maybe. At some point, we will discuss the Quantum Leap novels. It will happen. We're going to get there. Yeah. Bear with us. Bear. All right. Take care, (laughs) y'all. Bye. Good night. I want to stay.